You're listening to the Accounting Influencers Podcast. This is your access to world-class accounting leaders, global influencers, and thought leaders. Discover what makes accounting firms great and accounting professionals world-class. Sponsored by Dext. Make the businesses you advise more productive, profitable and powerful with better data and insights. Welcome to the Influencers in Accounting podcast with me, Rob Brown. On behalf of the Accounting Influencers podcast network, great to have you with us. We go out to 150 countries all over the world. Thousands and thousands of accountants, CPAs, bookkeepers, and a lot of the fintech influencers that serve the profession. I'm thrilled to have with me today, back for the second time, the head of CFO University, it's Steve Rosbold. Hello, Steve. I'm doing great, Rob, and it's wonderful to be on your show. Steve, just for the benefit of people that may not have heard your last interview, we talked about the changing role of the accountant, the changing role of the accounting and CPA qualification. Do you just want to summarize for us a couple of the key points that came out there for you? Sure. I think we, you know, we talked about how the CPAs and, and CAs, uh, chartered accountants, how that role is changing. And mechanization is taking a lot of that role away. So the audit function, the governance functions um, are being automated, which is actually a very good thing. As you know, the junior accountants know when we started, you know, 30 and 40 years ago, uh, there was a lot of manual work. So that's that's the good news. The bad news is it takes quite a bit of the people side away too. So the, the pipeline uh, doesn't need to be quite as big. Uh, we talked about uh, how, you know, in addition to mechanization, how the skill sets need to change and how they're becoming more business advisors and how. And so um, I think we can leverage some of that on, uh, you know, on what we're going to talk about uh, this morning. And just to wrap that up, if accountants don't have all of the right skills that they need to serve their clients in the best possible way, what do you feel do they need? Well, I think that they need to improve their communication side. Their human skills need to, to get better. Um, we tend to have looked at the financial statement, and this is from certainly from my background as a, as a CPA, um, as, as our kind of end result. And that's not the end result anymore right? That's kind of an interim step. We have to help people manage their businesses better. So I think um, that's where all those skills about storytelling, bringing insights, looking forward, um, which hasn't necessarily been a strength of and what we focused on CPAs and CAs to do in the past, um, are skills that have to be worked on and developed. Now, the CPA, the accounting qualification, used to be the de facto route to CFO, finance leader, didn't it? Is that changing? You know, I think it is. Uh, and, and I think that this is where um, the accounting profession and particularly public accounting and CAs need to understand that, you know, what their role is. And it's not what it used to be. I mean, attestations and audits are going to be important and tax re tax work is going to is going to, you know, is going to be important. That's going to be part of their revenue stream. But they also have to become uh, business advisors. And they're competing with a lot of other companies in doing that. So they that's not something that's going to happen necessarily um, by the snap of the fingers. But they have two things going for them when it comes to business advisors. They're very smart. And they have all this insight to the financial information of their clients. So that's where they have a leg up. Now, when it comes to the McKinsey's and the Booz Allen's and the Boston Consulting's, do they have their um, kind of emotional intelligence to manage the customer. So that's where I think the battles are going to be fought as these big uh, these big uh, accounting firms try to convert to business, you know, become, you know, analysts for their 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 uh, customers. 
it's going to be, do they have the emotional intelligence that some of these big firms that they're going to be going up against have? And uh, and they've, they've all had, you know, their consulting practices. And it's not like they haven't, but they also have this, this mindset of, you know, an accountant and an auditor within their realm. And that's the part that they have to be careful, doesn't overtake that the, the whole, uh, you know, customer experience side when it comes to being, you know, a trusted advisor. Stephen, I'm going to ask you what makes a great CFO. And we're going to talk through the four pillars that you go through with your CFO university. As I set that up, why should accountants listen to what makes a good CFO? You know, if if you want to lead a company and if you enjoy finance, um, you know, the CFO role is is the, the role to shoot for. So I think, you know, if you don't, if you don't want to lead people, and if you're not that interested in being, you know, a senior person in a company, then I don't think you need to listen to me, right? Go, go have fun. But if you want, um, if, if, if you think that that would be exciting for you to be in the, the, the and, and by the way, the CFO role is also becoming a stepping stone to the CEO role. So it's not a bad avenue to take to run run companies as well, um, but I think if if that's that, that's why I think um, we can help people. We we understand what it takes to be very successful in that role, and you know our desire is to help people get there. And but if you don't if you don't think that's important in your career, or you want a different avenue to take, then you probably don't have to listen to me. You mentioned CFO and CEO in in your sentences there. Are we seeing more of a movement in professional firms to a C-suite model rather than the managing partners and the equity model from what you're looking at? Boy, that's a question I I um I can't answer for you. I don't I don't have a good I don't have a good feel for that. Should we? <laughs> um no, you know, I think the partner role works. Um, you know, it it I, I think the partner role works for what what certainly public accountants are doing and what consulting companies do. You know the way they want to share the wealth, they want to share the decision making. I think the the uh, the the uh, partnership model can work pretty well. Um, you know in 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 uh, in today's world, I don't have I don't have a big issue that there's any any um, difference one way or the other in how they set up that structure. I'll ask my editor to take that question out because I caught you on the hop and it didn't really change anything. So we'll we'll pretend that one ever happened. So Stephen, your body of work, you set your foundations on four pillars for CFO success. Give us a headline of those four and then we'll dive deeper into them. You bet. Well, we we look at the, you know, we have four pillars of CFO success. And the first one is the accounting pillar. The second one is the finance pillar. The third is the treasury pillar. And the last and maybe the most important is the leadership pillar. So I'll start with the accounting pillar, unless you, unless you want to ask any, any details about that. I'll go into each one. So the accounting pillar, we have four or three core competencies. And the and this is kind of, if you think of the start of the business, the governance, the internal controls. So setting up the, the articles of incorporation, the business papers, setting up your internal controls to manage a business well, setting up your general ledger. So that's all part of the accounting pillar. And it's kind of the start of things for, for the accounting to make sure your business runs well. Another section in the accounting pillar, another core competency is the recording side. So that's recording all the transactions. And obviously what that leads into is the third piece, the reporting side. So the recording is the general ledger and other, other items you might use, whether it's your payroll systems, all those kind of things. So it's all your recording of your activity that has to be accurate and timely to be able to get reporting out that's accurate and timely. And so the three areas, again, under accounting are the, your governance and internal controls, your recording aspect and how you go about that. And then the reporting aspect, which we'll call at this point, the financial statements. 
And there's a lot more to it than that, but let's just call it the financial statements. And there's so much data coming out now, isn't there? So many data points, so much technology that's giving the accounting pillar uh, a lot more to consider. Well, there's all the compliance. And I, I just did a, a talk not too long ago on ESG requirements. And, you know, there's three ESG, you know, bodies setting up their requirements for reporting. And some companies have to comply with all three. So now all of a sudden, you've got your other statutory reporting for finances. You have your compliance reporting in all kinds of other areas. And now we're going to put ESG on top of that. And so, um, yeah, it, you're right. You'd think that that old historical piece that, you know, we all kind of, you know, want to shun, uh, shun away from, that is, you know, that is taking more work, not less. Right? And the tax space, the regulatory space, things are ever changing there, aren't they? All the new statutes and rules that are coming out that accounting has to stay on top of. Yeah, it's not getting, it's not getting easier. You know, that's the fact that technology helps us a bit, but it's still, there's more and more coming at you. So, so that's kind of the accounting side of things. And what I look at finance and a finance is the, the handoff. So there's a handoff taking place between accounting and finance and call it historical to the future. So finance is all your budgeting and planning is one of our core competencies. So how do we go through the budgeting planning process? Another side is the forecast. So the rolling forecast, how we put forecast together. And the third area under finance is investment analysis. So that's when we're looking at how do we go lose that capital? Are we going to invest in plants? Are we going to invest in people? How are we going to grow our company? So the finance pillar has these three core competencies again, and it's budgeting and planning, it's forecasting, and it's investment analysis. Our third pillar is the treasury pillar, and this is the cash pillar. So this is pretty important for a lot of companies, but it has to do with, so the three core companies under treasury have to do with um, cash management. So how well are you managing cash? Every company has that, that uh, need. Uh, the second pillar is fundraising. Now, some companies, if they're internally funded, may not do fundraising. So they may not have a bank that they're borrowing money from or they don't need to raise money through new investors. But that's in most CFO roles, that raising of capital is an important area. And we have that under the treasury function. And then when companies take on third-party debt, so when they're taking on debt or, or if they're raising equity capital, what happens is their risk management has to go up because all of a sudden they have to be aware of third-party reporting and things like that. So our risk management, which if you if I kind of connect the dots between risk management as a core competency and governance and controls, they're very related. So now we kind of we, we go back to our accounting pillar, connected a bit to our treasury pillar and the risk management. But risk management is governance and control on steroids. So all of a sudden you're worried about a lot more things because you have uh, third parties that you have to report to. And they're kind of they're asking you for things that you haven't asked for as an individual sole proprietor before. So again, Treasury has three pillars, again, three core competencies, cash management, fundraising or capital raising, and risk management. And the final pillar is leadership. And this really defines, so all those other things can be done by individual contributors or managers. Leadership has to do with, can you run the whole organization? And so we teach leadership under kind of a stair-step approach. And the first is self-awareness. So being self-aware of how, you know, what your capabilities are, how others perceive you is an important part. So we start with self-awareness. The second area we go into then is team building. So we want to build our team. And the third area is developing strategy and culture, obviously kind of where you're really leading an entity. And so we have a stair-step approach to leadership. So again, on our leadership pillar, we focus on self-awareness. We show uh, focus on team building. And then we look at culture and strategy as the third core competency under leadership. So Maybe I took too long on that, but that is our that is our foundation that we use to teach people at uh, at CFO.university. That makes so much sense in that you're covering all the bases. And even on your website, you have a, a, 
a CFO readiness assessment, don't you? Talk to us a bit about that. Well, and the CFO readiness assessment is meant to, it assesses all 12 of those areas, those core competencies. So so an accountant could go on there and assess the, the finance leadership capabilities of Exactly. And it, it's more experiential. So it isn't, you know, we're not trying to grade you in, in, uh, in you know, how good you are at something, but we want you to help you understand how your experience fits in. And so what you find a lot of accountant, for example, they do very well on the accounting pillar. FP&A people do very well on the finance pillar. And somebody who's been on the cash management side does well on the treasury pillar. That's it, pretty common. Then where the leadership is where they get differentiated. And so it's a 60 question. It only takes 10 or 15 minutes to do, but you get a nice report out that says here, and, and how we use that with our students or our member scholars is we use that to target, um, you know, their lower scores. If they, you know, we think if they think they need those lower scores to move up the rung, we want to make sure we focus our coursework and their tools on that. Um, we can also use it as a way um, holistically to make sure that, you know, where they're, you know, where we want to dial them in from a perspective of, of learning Um in a specific area. They may want to become a treasurer, for example. A, a controller may want to become a treasurer just because they like that experience. I think it'll help them. And so we can focus in on their treasury skills from uh, the, the readiness assessment. You talk about these four pillars one by one as if they're sequential, Steve. You need A before B. And I get that the technical accounting stuff would be the baseline, the foundation. That just gets you in the game. But is it really sequential or am I just hearing that wrong? No, I, I explained it wrong. In fact, I'm glad you pointed that out because um, I should maybe I should reverse that. Now it happens to be historical future, but you can come through FPA and you, you know, the 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 baseline is that you understand financial statements. That's kind of the baseline with all these. If you don't know that, then you got to go back to school. I can't help you because I'm not going to change, I'm not going to help you in that. That's going to be uh, uh, you know, your education from, from an institution, uh, a university or something. We're not going to do that. But what I um, so you, but you can come through a treasurer role and you can learn how to fundraise and never have been a controller, never have done the books. Um, but you may that may help you. So it isn't sequential. Uh, the leadership usually has a timeline to it, right? People aren't born leaders normally. They have to do some. There has to be some timeline. So a lot of times, leadership, you'll see um, the more experienced people, you know, probably score higher in leadership. Generally, I would on our on our readiness assessment. Are there different kinds of CFO than Steve? You might get one that's really interested in the fundraising side of it and not really into the other kinds of areas. Very much. I mean, that you look at a startup and they're they they need, you know, really great capital raising skills, right? And so um certainly uh there are all kinds of different levels, you know, uh, depending on the company. Uh, a lot of times uh, a manufacturing company will have strong accounting skills because the cost side of that's really important. And a lot of cost accounting, you know, kind of falls in that area. And so um, depending on the industry and the role, uh, the, the specific needs for the company, you have many different types of CFOs that have different skills. So to say that, you know, my FP&A skills aren't very good, so I can't be a CFO, that's not necessarily the case. You may find the right, there may be fits for you still, even if you're you know, if if one of those skills aren't super high. So yeah, there's a lot of different CFO roles um, that, you know, it certainly isn't a, uh, you know, one recipe. I took a master's in human resources after I finished teaching. And one of the decisions they asked us to make pretty quickly was, are you going to be a generalist or a specialist? Do you want to be in human resources as a general role? Or I actually went into human resource development, which was more along the, the people development side, the skill development, because of my teaching background. When you look at the CFO role, are we seeing a, 
a fragmentation of CFOs insofar as you can't be good at everything and you don't need to be good at everything and you can't possibly know everything. So speaking to team building, would you get other people around you and make sure you cover all the bases? That, that's really a good question because um, yes, definitely. And in fact, I would say um, there's a level, there's, there's a role uh, at, at large public companies where a lot of times the CFO has never had a fine, isn't a finance person and they don't. And so they have, but they have, they're big enough. They have a great chief accountant. They have an FP, you know, so they're, they're able to supplement that. So the very, very largest corporations, a lot of times they're looking for a different skill that might not even be one of the four pillars, but those are big companies, big public companies. Once you get down below, I don't know, a couple billion dollars in turnover, um, maybe, maybe a little more than that. But the CFO role then, you know, usually depends on those skills and some of those skills might be more important than the other. So we talked about startups needing cap capital raising and that that's a real specialty. So, you know, being in a startup, being in a venture backed company, you know, having experience in a venture backed company, um, that's a skill set that, you know, because then the relationship between the owners becomes so much more important. Um, manufacturing, we talked about that. So yeah, there's a lot of skill sets that rely on different parts of those pillars more than others. And some of those are on the leadership side or the, the soft side. And again, I would say, you know, the venture capital side, being owned by a venture capital company, um, normally, um, you know, that's, that's a different, that, that they, they like to have CFOs who have worked with venture-backed companies more because they have better understanding of how that environment's going to work for them. So that's more of a soft skill than being able to do the accounting or being able to do the finance or being able to do treasury. We've hinted at the downward pressure on compliance fees, how that's been undervalued. And accountants are increasingly being expected by their clients to step up into advisor roles and consulting roles. And perhaps the pinnacle of that would be an interim CFO role or acting as a an external CFO to the companies that they serve that perhaps haven't got a CFO themselves. Are you seeing that happen more and more? I'm seeing that happening more than certainly we did. Remember at Enron, when Enron went bust and Sarbanes-Oxley in the U.S. came out, I think it was kind of a global thing, but certainly in the U.S., um, the, the CPA firms had a real struggle with offering services to clients they were auditing. So that and that that independence piece still comes up, but I do see it a lot more. I mean, there's not there's not a, a CPA firm in the U.S. that isn't trying to give some other kind of advisory services. Now, again, you get, you have that wall of independence. You got to be careful. You're not auditing somebody who you've told them how to run the business because then you're just auditing yourself, and you have you know. You're, so there's still and, and that is a tough place for that. That's a tough place for the attestation or the audit side of things because. If you're going to attest to something and you've had a big influence on it, you can never have that independence. So that's one of the big um, uh, boulders that they have to push away. And I don't know how they're going to do that. That that's going to be a, that's a big big um, shackle on the on the uh, the legs of the accounting firms because they they have a hard time uh, offering those services and then staying independent. So one of the things that good trusted advisors do in accountants is to advise the business clients on growth and and even hiring. So yes, it's okay with a two billion pound company and they have the CFOs and the huge team around them. But for the the small and medium businesses, at some point they're going to have to take on a CFO. What would an accountant say to a business that would convince that business owner or entrepreneur that they are ready for a CFO to come into that company, whether that is the accountant or another hire? I think um, a couple things, and it maybe is it, it maybe is what they say, but it's kind of how they say it and what they ask. I think 
an insatiable curiosity is important. So, you know, showing that, you know, you just can't get enough information about the company, that insatiable, um, great communication skills. We're going to assume uh, that they have the technical skills, right? So, uh, and, and companies, they test for that now in many ways. So um, first of all, you have to have the technical skills and, and that means understanding the balance sheet, the income statement, the P&L. Um, but so, but insatiable curiosity, um, you know, innovative attitude, um, good communication skills and some, you know, a high IQ, which, you know, they're human resources are, you know, they're getting better at the interview process where you can tell is this person, how are they going to lead people? And are they going to be a good leader of people? And so that's, um, maybe that's in a nutshell, kind of the things that I think, and it's, so it's not technical. We're going to assume that so they, they get that. I don't think people are going to have a problem on the technical side. It's going to be those other leadership skills and soft skills that are going to, you know, make the difference. So that tells us what a business owner would look for in a good CFO. But I, I'm interested in what would have to be happening in a company for the owner to say, okay, we're ready for a CFO now. We need someone to start to take on these responsibilities. I've had a handle on the finances up to now, but we're growing too quickly and we're getting too big. Because it's up to the accountant to make that business owner often aware of, okay, you've got to a point now where you need a CFO. This should be your next hire, whether it's me or somebody else. Well, it's funny that you should even bring that up because the, my next call that I have after this interview is with a gentleman who wants to understand what they should expect out of a CFO because they've kind of been running through their CFOs. Um, but I, I think, you know, is there a certain dollar amount? Sometimes, you know, they say $100 million or so in a manufacturer, a complex company, you better have a CFO for that. Um, but in general, I think when the, when the C, so one thing I, I'll point out, every company does all the duties of a CFO, right? They just have them spread out. Right. And they might bring an interim CFO to do it. But, you know, you're somebody's doing every step that a CFO does. They just aren't a CFO doing it. So your accounts payable people are running cash management or your receiver, you know. So, so, you know, just because you don't have a CFO, it doesn't mean you don't have CFO duties. When you need that full time CFO, I think the, the number one um, cause for that or when is when an owner recognizes they need a partner who understands finance. So, it, you know, I think that's when they, when the owner or the, the CEO says, I need a partner to do this. This is too big for me. Um, that's probably the catalyst for most CFO searches. Steve, the traditional route to CFO would be the CPR accounting qualification. You would really find a CFO that wasn't a qualified accountant in some way. Is it always going to be thus or can a decent entrepreneur join the CFO university, acquire all the knowledge they need and become a decent CFO? Well, I would say that the, the, the baseline for us is you, you understand the financial statements. So that's the baseline. If you don't understand that, I, I, I just think it's really hard to be a successful CFO. Now, you don't have to have a finance degree to do that. You don't have, to have an accounting degree necessarily to do that. You could have picked it up with an MBA. There's other ways to have done that. But I think it's, it's, it's hard without that. Other than that, then yes, we have, if you're a, uh, you know, a, a leader of people and you have business experience and you're curious and you have a kind of a, a, a minimum technical background, I think, you know, CFO at university has a lot to add in, in how you can grow your um, professional development and, and actually, you know, take on a CFO role. I, I think that's, I'm trying to think of some examples where that's happened and, um, or people have done that. And, uh, you know, it's it's mostly finance people and accounting people, but there are a few instances. Do CFOs make the best CEOs in your eyes, Steve? No. Um, 
and not that they don't either. I'm not saying they do or they don't. There's a specific personality and background, I think, that makes it great. And some CFOs have it, some don't. So do we have a do we have what the best background from a from a business standpoint to take it on? I think definitely. I mean, we see every part of the business. So, but but do personality wise and some of those other soft side, do we have it? You know, I, I wouldn't say we have the uh, you know the upper hand in that, but certainly from a general business knowledge, no doubt, because um, we get it, we get exposed to everything. But then it, but the CEO role has a different you know there's a personality characteristic and and something else that goes with the CEO roles normally that isn't just about the technical business side. Steve, this has been terrific. We'll put a CFO University into our show notes so people can reach out, get in touch with you, and your contact details. Let's just finish off by asking you, what is the future of the CFO role in the complex world that we're in? It's more difficult to predict what best practice is and what is coming up. It seems like the finance leader that has a handle on all of the CFO capabilities is going to become more and more important. Yeah, you know, I think the the delegation part of the CFO role is going to be really important. If you are somebody who wants to keep things close to your vest, you're going to have a hard time surviving because we have two big clashes taking place. There's the chief cost officer role, which was the old role, the historical role. And we have this, uh, you know, a chief value officer role. So the, the old role was we were responsible for everything below the gross margin line, right? Now we're responsible for the whole P&L. And so getting more involved in the margin management. So that's one area that's going to take more time. There's this other aspect of the the chief fact officer and the chief uh, future officer. So there's more looking out forward. So there's these, this kind of, think of it as a nuclear explosion of the responsibility of the CFO. So the the only way somebody can get through that is number one, being pretty smart, but also being able to delegate. So I think that's going to become a huge skill is being able to be comfortable delegating because our roles, if we're going to have the, the impact that it looks like people want us to have, we are we are going to um, have a huge workload that has to get managed. So that's going to be, you know, it kind of blows my mind to think about how this role is expanding. And, uh, and it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a challenge, but delegation skills, uh, which are all those leadership skills we talked about are going to be important. Exciting terms. Steve Rosfeld, that's been exceptional. Thank you so much for your time and your insights today. Rob, I love being with you. It's just fun. You're listening to the Accounting Influencers Podcast. Sponsored by Advanced Track, helping you as an accountant confidently choose between outsourcing and offshoring. Yeah.